0: very complete instructions on how to pray. He said to his disciples, and he says to us today, when you pray, say, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So two points about starting to pray. Firstly, our prayer starts with the right approach to God. Then our prayer starts with the right priority for God. So we're going to do a little recap of what Jenny so beautifully shared last week. Prayer starts with the right approach to God. There's these amazing. My friend and I, she's 82 years old. She's been in the kingdom for 60 years this year. We had a small celebration together to celebrate 60 years in the kingdom. And she has taught me so much about prayer. And we talk about the people we call the old boys. Now the old boys are people who wrote in the 40s and 50s about prayer. F.B. Mayer, A.W. Tozer, Alan Redpath, these great guys. And she encouraged me to read about them, to read about prayer. Because you catch prayer from people who pray. You kind of catch it and you want to pray like them. Just as the disciples caught prayer from Jesus and wanted to pray like him. And there's this amazing book. The Knowledge of the Holy, which Tozer wrote in about the 1950s. I can never get because it's all about the amazing omnipotence, the name of God, the self-existence of God. It's kind of out there, but I know the first line because I've read the first line of chapter one so many times as I resolve to get through to chapter two, but there's so much to think about in chapter one. I never seem to get to chapter two, so I go back and start again. So, A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, begins with this sentence, which is, the most important thing about a person is what comes into their mind when they think about God. The most important thing about a person is what comes into their mind when they think about God. That's why God's saying to us at St. Matt's, raise the standard of how you're thinking about me last week I kept wanting to say look up higher um, look up higher and I got the phrase in this week that's what it is raise the standard of how you think about him because the most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God and as Jenny said last week we have to hold three things together God is Father God is in Heaven and All-Powerful And God is completely holy. When she was sharing last week, it reminded me of how I used to think, to kind of grasp this. I called it the triangle of truth. And when I was praying, I wanted to stay inside the triangle of truth. And the triangle of truth has one corner, say it's represented by this lectern, that says God is Father. That means completely accepted by him. Completely understood by him, which I find so helpful. Completely loved by him. Completely affirmed by him. Completely encouraged by him. Completely built up by him. Completely understood by him. So that is the first point of the triangle of truth. The second point, which could be represented by that pillar, is that God is in heaven. He is self-existent in heaven. He is all-powerful. He is all-powerful. All the power is his. Every bit of the power is his. And the third point of the triangle is hallowed is his name. He is utterly and completely holy. Psalm 97 says the mountains melt like wax before the presence of the Lord. But there's a picture of his utter holiness causing everything to just dissolve and dissipate. We cannot approach a holy God unless we come through Jesus. And as we sang earlier, the righteousness of Christ means we can come to God. So when we're praying, I want to be in the middle of my triangle of truth. I want to hold together I'm coming to him as father. If I don't, I'm behaving like an orphan that says I have no father. And that's not what it's about. We're praying he is our father. But I must remember he's all powerful. If I go outside of the triangle there, I think I'm just talking to a human being. You know, it's a bit of power, you know. But no, I want to stay inside and hold these three truths together when I'm coming to pray. And over here, he's utterly holy. So I must come in the righteousness of Jesus to approach him. And that puts a reverence in your spirit. It puts something in your spirit that changes you when you remember how holy he is. And many years ago, there's a Bible teacher called Derek Prince. And he spoke about prayer and he said, 80% of my time when I pray is worship. 20% is praying. And I thought, crumbs, I never thought of it like that. Jesus said, the Father knows what you need before you ask him. So it's okay not to tell him what we need first. Because his priority is to pray for his kingdom with him. So when you come and ask him, what's your perspective on this? How would you like your kingdom to come in this situation? What's your will in this situation? I know you know my needs. We'll come to those in a bit. But what, what do you want? How do you want me to pray? You're building your history with him. You're building your relationship with him. And that's what he wants the most. Establishing a relationship with us as an individual. And it comes by saying, what's your priority, God? You're saying, pray for my kingdom to come. Okay, how do I do that? What do you want me to do in this context? So that's the right priority for God. To approach him in the right way, stay in the triangle of truth. And his priority is what we pray for. Now, Jesus, I can understand why I spent over three years teaching people and explaining the kingdom of God. I've had sort of three months, which has been distilled down to 25, 30-odd minutes, Um, I can see why. He had a lot to teach people. He had a lot to do. So he was teaching about his kingdom throughout the Gospels because it is a spiritual kingdom. And he was speaking to people who knew about King David and his kingdom, King Solomon and his kingdom. So he had to explain that his kingdom, where King Jesus is king, is different. So I'm going to talk about what is the kingdom, Then I'm going to talk about how we release the kingdom. What does it look like when the kingdom comes? And also, how do we become a citizen of the kingdom? So it's all about the kingdom. And the brilliant thing about the Word of God, about the Bible, is it's not normal. If you're hungry, I'm quite hungry when I get home from here. We have to stop off at the co-op and we have a little chat and meet. Lots of us meet in the co-op at about 7.30ish. And um, I'm hungry. Now, I will eat something and I will feel full. That's normal physical response to food. With the Bible, if you want to be, know about the kingdom, the more you read about the kingdom, the hungrier you get. It just works like that. You read a bit about the kingdom and you feel, Oh, I'm not full. I'm hungrier. I'm hungrier. I'm hungrier. That's how the word of God works. You want to know about joy? You look up in your concordance, all the scriptures about joy. And suddenly, oh, I'm quite you get hungrier and hungrier. It's the most amazing book because it's living and active. So, this is a sort of drop in about the kingdom, but I know he's going to get that. A hunger will go, and as you are more hungry for it, and he'll give you more and more understanding because that's how he works and still keep you hungry. So, we're praying for the kingdom to come, and what is the kingdom? Okay, so a kingdom has got the following components it has a ruler, it has subjects, it has territory. And it has laws. That is the ruler, subjects who are obedient to the ruler, territory and laws. Now in the scriptures there are five kingdoms. First kingdom, the king is God. He is the ruler. The subjects are Adam and Eve, they are in his kingdom. The territory is the Garden of Eden, and there is one law don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there was perfect fellowship, perfect harmony, this beautiful kingdom. And then Adam and Eve obeyed Satan and didn't obey God. That comes to the second kingdom in scripture, which is Satan's kingdom. Because Satan took the authority from mankind. And Satan's the ruler. His subjects are anyone who has bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. His territory is this earth. And his laws, that is, corrupt, everything that is lying, everything that is impure, everything that is selfish, that's his laws. And he said to the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, in Luke 4, we know that the devil led Jesus to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. He said, I will give all their authority and splendor to you it has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to, he said to Jesus, if you will worship me. Now Jesus did not turn around and say, it's not yours to give. He turned around and said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Satan is saying there, I have all the kingdoms of this world and you don't. And I'll give them to you if you worship me. And our beautiful Prince of Glory said, I will not. Because he knew. If he went to the cross, it wouldn't be one man dying. As a consequence of this one man dying, literally millions and billions of people like him would cover the planet and would then push back the territory of Satan's kingdom and see the kingdom of God established. And we are one of those. Each of us is one of those people. So, first kingdom in Eden, second kingdom, Satan's kingdom, third kingdom. Kingdom of Israel. God establishing through people a territory on the earth. Through Jacob's tribes, the people of Israel, their territory began with Canaan and sort of then spread. The Ten Commandments were the laws. God was the king. So God's the ruler. People of Israel. Ten Commandments are the laws. And the territory is the land that they took back from different enemies. Then they complained and they wanted an earthly king. And along comes Samuel to anoint Saul as king. And there's this brilliant little verse hidden in 1 Samuel 10. little foreshadowing of Jesus. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He explained to the people the manner of the kingdom. So the prophet Samuel had to explain to people how a kingdom would work. That you would do what the king says. He's ruling and reigning over you. And that's how it works. It had to be explained to them. We can see that's a foreshadowing of Jesus explaining the kingdom when he's on the earth. Along came King David. He was a man after God's own heart, and he was a man of war. So this expression of the kingdom is a military expression. Taking ground, taking ground. Every, spirit, every battle that David fought had a different strategy that God gave them. So in this third kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, we can see military battles taking territory. And after David came Solomon, the man of peace. His kingdom was like nothing else on the earth ever has been and ever sort of, I think, will be seen. There was such riches, there was such wisdom. 1 Kings 10 tells us that nothing was made of silver in this kingdom because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's days. This silver was nothing. Nothing. He was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought an audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that God had put in his heart. So, in this third kingdom, we can see two principles of kingdom that Jesus will have taught the Jewish people when he taught about his kingdom. King David, military kingdom, taking territory. King Solomon, wealthy kingdom. Attracting the world to its wisdom and its riches and its splendor. Because that was what the people knew about. First kingdom, Eden. Second kingdom, Satan's kingdom. Third kingdom, kingdom of Israel. Fourth kingdom, kingdom of heaven coming through King Jesus on the earth. It's an eternal spiritual kingdom which is always increasing and has no end. It's in people's hearts and it's in people's minds. This kingdom is taking territory back from the kingdom of darkness all the time. That's the kingdom of God that Jesus taught about. And we're to pray for that kingdom to come on the earth now. And then the fifth kingdom at some point will come, which is the full expression of God's eternal kingdom on the earth. That's down in the future. We're in this fourth kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, coming against, against the power of Satan's kingdom. So when Jesus is teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, God, your will be done, we're taking territory for God's kingdom from the prince of the power of the air, as he's called, in his kingdom, and we're releasing the riches of God's kingdom. So there's foreshadowing of David and Solomon. Okay, there's the two aspects that we're going for when we say we want to see the kingdom come. 23rd of December 1990, of which some of you were not born, but some of you were, a rather unusual thing happened to me. And um, I finished university, I was on a gap year, and I was doing two different jobs, working for the British Council in Oxford, which is highly exciting, and then being a waitress, everything you could do in a civil hotel. And in that sort of September up to December 1990, I kept bumping into Christians. I kept bumping into people I'd been at school with on the bus going from my, where my parents lived up to Oxford while I was doing this job. And I met this one girl and I said, oh, I haven't seen you for ages, what are you doing? Oh, i am been doing Chinese at York and I've been smuggling Bibles into China. And I said, sorry? So yeah, I've been smuggling Bibles into China um, because that's kind of, I'm going undercover as a student, but actually I'm smuggling in Bibles. I thought, wow, that's Unbelievable, what risk-taker you are. I never thought you were like that. Then I met another couple of people at this hotel, and I remember this person giving me a little cassette tape. People in the room will remember the cassette tape. It was very nice, until it sort of snapped through over-listening. And um, they came with this cassette tape called Avalon by Van Morrison. And the first song on it was a duet with Cliff Richard called Whenever God Shines His Light on Me. Yes, Kim remembers it, yep. And he just said, I think you'd like this song. And I played it all the time. I just couldn't stop playing it. I just loved these words, and I thought, there's truth in this. Then it kind of built up, and it was Christmas time, and a group of jolly-ish Christians came to have a Christmas meal together. They weren't sort of, I don't know. They, I just remember thinking, oh, oh, how can I make your meal experience nicer for you, sort of serving them as well as I possibly could. Anyway, they gave all of us waitresses a little tract, a little orange tract, And in it, I just went, I remember going down to the reception when we finished cleaning everything away, and I just sat down. People had thrown their tracks away. I just read it. And I just, it just said a couple of scriptures. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my path and a light for my feet. And Psalm 67, trust in him at all times, O you people, for God is your strength and refuge. And those two words, those scriptures just hit me, and I just thought, God is real. What is real. I famous friend of mine who's a Christian and unbelievably arrogantly said, everything's fallen into place about God. Now that was an exaggeration. I didn't know what I was saying, but that was my best expression of it. My best expression. I said, Will you buy me a Bible? And they go, Yeah, I'll buy you a Bible. And they gave me a Bible and they'd worked with Jackie Pullinger in Hong Kong and had seen great power, gave me a copy of that book, gave me another book, and I remember. That was about the 22nd, uh, 21st of December. or uh, 23rd, I went to a village church where my parents live and I found a copy of One Way. Do you remember this blue booklet that had a big arrow on it that said there's one way? It was before Why Jesus. And I read the prayer out loud on my own in this church. And from then on, you know, I repented of my sins. I said, I turned to Christ. I saw that God in Jesus had personally died for me. And I just could not then stop reading the Bible. I just sort of began this journey. Now, what had happened on the 23rd of December when I prayed that prayer was what we were talking about in the reading from John 3. You must be born again. Now, in Ecclesiastes, it says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. Every human being born in the image of God has got this spiritual cell in them. It's eternity that's set in their hearts. Everybody's got it. Because that's what that scripture says. When that spiritual cell is impregnated with the Holy Spirit, a new life begins. A whole new life inside of you. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what happens when you're born again. A whole new life begins. And the Holy Spirit brings with him the Father and the Son. He brings the DNA of the family line with him, just like in the natural, the father brings his DNA to the child. And so, when you're born again, this spiritual birth happens inside of you, and it's an eternal life that will never end, and it goes on forever. And just as with a natural life, you have to feed your spiritual life. You have to grow in your spiritual life. Because you start as a baby, then the script says you become a child, Then you become a bit like a teenager, actually, I'd like it my way, my way. And God says, actually, no, it's my way, because it's not a democracy, it's a kingdom. And you're in my kingdom. And then you mature to be a full adult. So this happens to our spiritual life. Our spirit man is growing. And in order to pray for the kingdom to come with authority, we've got to be in this kingdom. And that's what's happened when we're born again. We're taken out of the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of light. And it's an amazing miracle. And that's what happened to me on the 23rd of December. My life completely changed. Yes, it's a journey. Yes, I had to learn all sorts of things about God and about myself. Yes, there was more repentance to come, more forgiveness and so on. But all of us, it's it's a spirit man. It's a spiritual life. And we feed that as much as we can. Because if we don't feed it, it won't grow. So Jesus said in order to pray for the kingdom to come, you need to be in the kingdom. And when you're a citizen of the kingdom, you can pray for authority to see it come to others. So, that's how we become a citizen of the kingdom of God, and then we have authority to pray for the kingdom to come. So everybody, we can pray for everybody. The evangelists amongst us are going, yes, yes, yes. Because every person has got a spiritual cell in them because God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So we can pray for any and everybody to come to Christ. We can ask, Holy Spirit, would you convict them? May they come into the kingdom of God. Would you absolutely surround and impregnate the spiritual cell in them that they would know the new life in Christ, that they would come out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and know the peace and the joy and the righteousness that comes from being with God. So when the kingdom of God comes, it looks like people being born again. That's what it looks like. Because God looks down and he just says, are you in the kingdom of my son or are you not? That, that is it. That's it. So we want to be taking territory The kingdom to come, and that means praying for people to come into the kingdom. But knowing that verse is there, it gives us an absolute solid place to stand when we're praying for someone to come to Christ. So, when the kingdom of God comes, it looks like people being born again, it looks like righteousness, it looks like God's way of being, living, and thinking, and his peace and joy coming into situations. That's what it looks like. A situation that did not have righteousness. Righteousness is right being, right living, and right thinking. I remember when my older kingdom friend told me that, and I didn't have a pen and paper to write it down, I kept remembering BLT, Bacon, and Tomato. right being, right living, right thinking. So I thought, oh, that's so good. That's what righteousness is. It's right being, how God says to be. Right living, how God says to live. Right thinking, how God says to think. So that righteousness, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So where we see a situation where that is not happening, we can pray for God's kingdom to come into that situation. And though, it says in Corinthians, though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world did. David in his kingdom waged military war to get territory. This is why Jesus had to explain his kingdom to the people, he had to explain mine is military in nature like King David, but we're taking spiritual territory, we're taking territory in people's hearts, and in their minds and in their way of thinking, it took him three years, we're doing well on 15 minutes so, you know, it's a life study, um, but to Corinthians, Paul expands on this a bit more, and he says, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Our weapon that pushes back Satan's kingdom takes territory for the kingdom of God. Our weapon is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is also praise. Psalm 149 says, With the high praises of God in their mouths and a double-edged sword in their hand, they bind the kings. Psalm 149, brilliant psalm. But we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So when we are praying, we're taking up that sword. And God's word, his specific word in a situation, always achieves the purpose for which it is sent. How do we know that? It says it in Isaiah 55. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and don't return to it without watering the earth, making it bud and flourish so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, God says, so is my word that goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire. Hebrews 11, the word of God is living and active sharper than a double-edged sword. It's what happens is, when we ask God, how do you want me to pray for your kingdom to come? What is your will in this situation? He will give us a scripture. I mean numerous times I've literally my my well look, my Bible is falling apart anyway, which is pretty unhelpful to hold it, but I've got tear stains in it because I say, God, you've got to speak to me. What is your will here? And starting at Psalm one and reading all the way through till I get the verse. But when I get that verse I will not yield on it. I will not give up on it. I am absolutely determined because that's what God has said for this situation. And so when we receive the word from God, that's like a single-edged sword. When it comes out of our mouth, it's a double-edged sword, twice as powerful. Now, these double-edged swords, the the Roman army that Paul's talking about is the word of God is a sword. When you had close combat with the enemy you would use this particular sword. It's about 30 centimeters long apparently and it was serrated on both sides. And when the enemy was there, you would just get this sword and you'd go, mm, turn, pull out and you'd have entrails on it. The innards of the opposing soldier. It was that vicious. So when we are praying, if something comes over our family, if something comes in our family, over my husband, over one of our children, over a dear friend's granddaughter, whatever it is, when I've got that scripture, I am literally thinking, it is written. All our children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be our children's peace. It is written. I have not been given a spirit of timidity and fear. I've been given a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, and I speak that over her. And I just, imagine it, I have do this in the car sometimes, if I'm really cross, but I do it with my left hand, because I'm driving with my, but No, it is written, it is written, it is written. So that is our weapon, that is our weapon. We get the word, we get the word, and we declare the word, and we pray the word. And it's a double-edged sword. It's that close combat, and all the mothers in the room, we know, we're like a lion, you come near, you come with that lie at my daughter, back off. And I get my sword out, and I just refuse. And we've had ongoing situations the last five years, people who know us well, five years of very, very difficult things with my husband's job. And the number of times we pray before we go to sleep, and I just say, darling, I'm not yielding. These are the promises. I will not give up. And I just pray them again, and we pray them again, and we pray them again, because that's all I have. I have nothing in the natural that looks like it's going to work, but I've got my promise, and I've got my sword. And even in our house, you have had situations, and people are smiling, you probably know what I'm going to say with a situation ongoing. And with my Sharpie pen, when we decorated a particular room in the house, I wrote in Sharpie pen on the top of the doorpost and the lintels. I mean, no one looks on the top of their door, but do they? Well, who cares? It's got the scriptures that I was given for this situation. When we decorated the room, we covered the wall, we wrote scriptures on the wall, then we painted it. And I've written scriptures over a year period. I would write the scripture I got on a tissue because they're soft and don't crinkle and put it under the mattress cover because it says in Jeremiah God says I'm watching over my word to perform it so when I wasn't praying if I went into that particular room I'd be saying Father thank you you're watching over your word to perform it it's there, they're sleeping on it they have no idea, they don't change their mattress cover I know what's under there (laughs) don't tell them um, but, you know, that's because I had to, the promises. I had to have them, and I wrote them. And then at the end of the academic year, I kind of looked under the mattress, got these little crushed, little thin bits of tissue that kind of perforated over the year by being laid on. I kind of gathered them all up and sort of cried to them. And I said, "Gosh, you've done it. You've done them all. You've done them all. But we took the sword, and we took the sword, and we take it and we put it on tissues and hide it under their beds, and they don't know, but we know. He's watching over his word to perform it. Amazingly, also, Psalm 103, it says, Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. The Lord is the Lord of hosts. It's his army, and they are his angels. They are not my army. They are not my angels. But that scripture says, they hearken to the sound of his voice. So when God gives a command to the angels, they do it. When we pray the word of God, the angels deal with it. Our job is to pray in the word. We pray in the word. We pray in the word. It says they hearken to the sound of his voice. So they'll deal with the rest of it. God will deal with the rest of it. Our job is to get the scripture, pray the scripture. That's how his kingdom comes. That's how the will will of God is done. So the kingdom of God, what does it look like when it comes? It looks like salvation. That spiritual cell, eternity in the hearts of men. Being impregnated by the Holy Spirit, new life beginning. It looks like arguments being demolished. It looks like healing. Number three, it looks like healing and it looks like deliverance. As we go around this city, what will it look like for the kingdom of God to come in Whitcomb and in Bath? Okay, so it's gonna look like salvation. It's gonna look like salvations. I had a dream when suddenly three times the number of people came into this building. It was sudden. And in the dream, people say, I have to go to church. It's a Sunday. And they were just coming in. And I thought, we've got to get ready. We've got to get ready for salvations to come. So we can pray for the kingdom to come, and it looks like salvation. We pray for the kingdom to come, and it looks like lies being demolished over the people we love. Choices they're made. Reverting to being righteousness, which leads to peace, which leads to joy. It also looks like healing and deliverance. Now, as we're going around, the king, going around the kingdom, going around Bath, Jesus said, the kingdom is within you, because the king's in me. The kingdom's in me. So wherever I go, the kingdom goes. Wherever we go, the kingdom goes. And there is righteousness, peace, and joy. So, my favorite thing at the moment is, you know the um, Tesco Express up um, on Bradford Road, the one near St. Martin's? People go in there like me and might do a bit of shopping. Other people just buy petrol. They are frustrated with the people with the shopping, don't they? Well, And this huffity puffety's going on behind me. The problem isn't that I'm in front of them. The problem is the agitation that is coming to this person. Because agitation leads to anger. which leads to frustration. So I would just turn around and say, would you like to go in front of me? I've got no problem with that. And then I just go down the line so there's probably nobody... No, they're so quick buying just petrol, aren't they? I'm having a chat with Joe, who I've got to know who's behind the door. Anyway, that's not the point. But the point is that is spiritual warfare. That is releasing the peace of the kingdom into a situation. My other favourite haunt is Sainsbury's and Odd Dam. When that was built, when that was built, I had this, I thought, do you know what? This is like a vacuum in here. Nobody's got this territory. And I used to go in, and I'd walk around, and I'd go, no, this is the kingdom of God's going to have this. It's a vacuum. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of God. It's this building that had had just no, "Mm," in it. (laughs) So, when I'm in there, I'm eyes open, just seeing what's going on, and chatting to people. And I was in there not so long ago, and the gentleman on the security desk was being berated by somebody for doing something not particularly well, or... And I thought, that's really not acceptable because this is embarrassing for this man. I'm hearing him being told. So I went to someone I've got to know on the checkout and said, oh, where's the manager? And I went to the manager and I said, hello, you don't know me. And inside I'm thinking, this is not acceptable because this person should be treated well. And I just said, I did hear how you spoke to that gentleman. And I felt actually it was quite embarrassing for him. Um, And I felt perhaps could you do that off the shop floor on another occasion and um, because why should he have that experience? I said, oh, you're yeah, okay. So then I went to the guy and I said, hello, you don't know me, but actually I felt how you were spoken to was really not acceptable because you should be treated with grace and you should be treated with honor and you should be treated with kindness. So I have mentioned that to the manager. Um, and he said, thank you. And I went out thinking, that's the victory for the kingdom. That is the kingdom. And I'm saying to the Lord, that's the kingdom. Well, because God lifts up people. He lifts them up. He is kind. He is gracious. And as the kingdom's within us, the Holy Spirit is within us. And the Holy Spirit brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, against which there is no law. We are not going to be told off for being too kind. There's no law against releasing the Holy Spirit's kindness. It says against which there is no law. So... Tim was talking back in July, he said, you know, it's not a military invasion of Bath, it's an invasion of God's love. It's an invasion of his kindness. It's an invasion of treating people well. And then people will realize, who are the people who treat us well? And just like with Solomon's kingdom of great riches and wisdom, they'll want to come and find out. Because it says in Romans 4, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Kindness kindness of God. That's what the scripture says. So we treat people kindly. So, when the kingdom of God comes, it looks like salvation. It looks like righteousness being established, which leads to peace and joy. And it looks like healing. It looks like deliverance. It looks like kindness. Because the power of this kingdom is released when we pray. So, as I've been sharing this evening I know that the Holy Spirit has been renewing people's minds in how we think about things because right at the beginning we pray with the right approach to God stay in the triangle of truth don't be presumptuous don't forget he has all the power and don't be an orphan who has no dad come to the Father and we come pray with the right priorities for God he knows what we need so we ask him for what do you want How do you want the kingdom to come in my daughter's life, in my granddaughter's life, in this business situation, in my friendship, in my work? How do you want it to come? Builds relationship and establishes it with him. And then we pray to take territory from Satan's kingdom in people's hearts, minds and bodies and we release the kingdom of heaven into people's hearts, minds and bodies. And we pray in God's will by praying that specific word. Promise for the situation. It is written, it is written, St. Matt's will be a well watered garden, a spring of of waters that will never fail. It is written that St. Matt's will be a healing place of restoration and wholeness. It is written. God inhabits the praises of his people. Lord, may that come in St. Max. May it come in St. Matt's. You said you inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, release praise in the house because you will inhabit it, because you promised us. The, the power of the Lord was present to heal, it says in the So Lord, you said for St. Matt's the power of the Lord will be present to heal. Lord, we're praying for your kingdom to come through healings. Through healings. I've got these scriptures written out. We don't have our kitchens a bit petite so you don't have a dishwasher so c'est moi the dishwasher and I have them there I've typed them out this time because they kept getting splattered and I've got these six verses it says St. Max 2019 I go, it is written I will st- you will send streams in the desert and rivers in the wasteland even send streams in the desert and Lord you'll do it in St. Matt's. you've promised me it is written you're going to send streams of living water to touch hearts that are dried out fed up, had enough You're going to send streams of living water. You're going to send rivers into wastelands. A wasteland is a place where someone had a great idea, things were growing, but then it just all got cut down and taken away and it became a wasteland. But God said, in St. Matt, I'm going to send a river into the wasteland and these dreams and these good things are going to grow again. That's what he said. It is written. So... Our Father, (laughs) who is in heaven, holy, hallowed is his name. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done in our hearts as we yield to your kingship, Jesus. In our lives as we align ourselves with you and mature. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our families. In St. Matt's, our church family, in the one church in Bath, in our city, in our nation. Let your will be done, Father, because your will is perfect, your will is mighty, and your will is what we have given our lives to align with. Father, many of us here have given our lives to see the kingdom come. We have given our lives and we do not want to take our lives back. We've given it to you to see the kingdom come and be released through us. And Father, I want to pray for anyone who's got a sick granddaughter, has a sick daughter or son, has a friend who is sick, a loved one, a dear one, anyone who is sick. Father, we just bring them to you. And we're asking for your healing power to flow through these bodies, from the top of their heads to the tip of their toes. Father, we ask for the healing virtue of the kingdom of heaven to be present in these little bodies, in these larger bodies. We pray, Father, for the fire of your kingdom to burn up sickness and illness. We remind you of that promise that says the Lord is fire around her and is the glory within her. Lord, may your fire burn up infection and may your glory see healing and wholeness established in these lives. And Father, we pray for people we know who've got confusion, who've got anxiety, who've got mental, just, there's depression, there's sadness, and they just can't shift it. And Father, we're asking for the shalom peace of heaven to come into the minds and the way of thinking of these people that we love. Father, we bind a spirit of infirmity manifesting in these il- mental illnesses and we release your Holy Spirit to come forth with healing power and we declare God has never given anyone a spirit of timidity, a spirit of fear, but God has given a spirit of power, a spirit of love and a sound mind and we declare a sound mind over people in our midst struggling with anxiety or depression and we release this shalom peace of God into their minds. Thank you, Father.